So today we're going to talk a little bit about challenging student thinking and bringing the student's perception of the real costs of your program into alignment with the actual costs. Here we go. Welcome to Funding the Performing Arts podcast. Open and frank discussion about supporting and growing the performing arts, such as instrumental, vocal, drama, dance, marching, and pageantry arts. Hey folks, you've reached Funding the Performing Arts podcast. This is your host, Brian Gilbert, and if you hear some weird, odd, ambient sounds in the background, I'm actually recording this outdoors. Uh, so if your spring has been anything like ours on the uh, East Coast in the Mid-Atlantic region, it's been very poor. And by poor, I mean just uh, tremendously bad weather, all kinds of bad uh, from just gray, rainy, dreary to active God, raining sideways, hail. Um, you know, we've pretty much seen it all this, this spring. Uh, but today is really quite a nice day. In fact, they were, they were calling for some of that, but, uh, it ended up being pretty nice. So, uh, if you hear some, some birds and some dogs barking or a leaf blower powering up, you, you might know why why that is so uh today's episode we're going to talk a little bit about challenging students to better understand the true and real costs of your program so uh, as is the case in a lot of the content that we produce there's always like a real life impetus that that helps uh create the uh, I guess the, create the idea or spur the urgency to, to do something. And um, I think that the more programs that we have the, uh, the opportunity uh, and the, uh, the privilege to work with at FansRays, we're, we're actually finding quite a bit. And one of the things that we are finding in, in checking in with our educator partners and band boosters and music parents is that in a lot of cases, students really don't have any idea what the true costs of a program would be. I would actually go further than that. I think your most involved band boosters probably know. Uh, music parents, uh, band aides, uh, music moms and dads, theater parents, you know, whatever your, your genre activity may be. But what I mean by this is the involved parents close to the epicenter of the activity, the ones that are actually volunteering time and volunteering hours um, to put programs on and to help them on stage or help them reach the field. Uh, they, know. they know. They know how much stuff costs, or they should know. Uh, if they're at all, if they're attending booster meetings or parent meetings uh, and they're in the know. The reality is that in a lot of cases, that's uh, that group represents a pretty small minority of the total involved parents, and let alone the students, because the kids have no idea <laughs> for the most part. And I've even talked to kids in drum corps uh, that are advanced high school or even college age, um, even older than that, in DCA corps, you know, all-age drum corps, where you might have full-grown adults with real jobs. They just have no idea. Uh, what it really truly costs to put a, a program on the field or uh, br 
bring art to life. So I wanted to record this, uh, this episode to address that. And I believe, you know, we should start with one question. Should the costs of a program, should this be an abstract concept? Yes or no? Well, the no would be, well, I don't really want to weigh my kids down with other stuff. Um, maybe it's not important to you that they understand how much the uniform they're wearing costs or how much that marching baritone costs. Um, but then you also have to be prepared to um, you know, deal with the other side of that, which is, well, when the student leaves that baritone uh, behind a, uh, a parked car in a parking lot and it gets backed over and flattened, uh, or that uniform uh, is actually put through the washer and dryer because um, somebody didn't follow directions and uh, it now has to be replaced because it has now been uh, disheveled beyond recognition. You have to be prepared to deal with some of that. Now, that's not to say that if you uh, follow our suggestions that that's going to completely go away because that's just part of dealing with kids. But should this be an abstract concept? I would suggest no. It should not be an abstract concept. I believe that we need to spend time on this. I believe that this is important. I think it's important because... I think it matters how much value students place on an activity. And, you know, is there a sense of understanding? Is there a sense of appreciation um, for what takes place? Um, obviously, kids are going to always be preoccupied by the social and the performance aspects of their responsibilities in the, let's say it's a marching band, all right? Um, we want kids really focused on their dots and their diddles and their drill moves, color guard work, etc. Um, we want them really focused on that. But there's also room for other things to think about. And that is how they treat one another, how they treat the organization and the ensemble. Do they really understand their role in the organization? Do they understand that the dots and diddles and notes and choreography and whatnot. Do they understand that that's a means to an end? And I'm, I'm thrilled that in a lot of the more sophisticated programs that we're working with, um, they're using the marching activity or musical theater or vocal or whatever the performing art vector happens to be. They're using it uh, as a means to an end. And it's not all about the performance. It's, it's more about growing uh, and understanding more as, as young people. So uh, I think it's important, really, because kids need to understand, they need to appreciate the support that they get, both financially and then also just from a resource standpoint. They understand that the parents that are working the snack shack at halftime at the football game, they understand how much revenue comes in from that, and they understand how you know what the bottom line is for the band. Um, you know, I think in some of the areas of the country that we're working in, it's, this is a high, you know, a, 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 sometimes a, a mid-six-figure enterprise with big budgets and lots of costs. And uh, they don't understand to, to roll down the road and take a, you know, a, maybe an 80-minute bus ride on coach buses, with maybe with a rented tractor to pull their equipment trailer and some uh, rental trucks and... The amount of volunteered hours by boosters, parents, alumni to help schlep 
equipment and props on and off the field and push marimbas and drum carts and uh, electronics and things to the front sideline for the pit. I, I, I think kids easily lose focus on that. I know I did. I had no idea. Um, I, I, I'll go one further than that. I spent a number of years teaching drum corps and teaching marching band before I got my first band director job. Um, I took a, like a longer path through college, took a few years off to work full time, but I kept coaching marching band uh, and writing and designing for different teams. And um, it was a lot of fun. And I got to see a lot of different types of organizations and the way that they work and uh, the way that different band directors deal with boosters and fundraising. And I got to see a, a big cross section of the band world before I actually got my own program, which was extremely helpful. Uh, but I could tell you that even in those instructional roles where I was maybe, let's say, the, the marching guy or the drill writer, uh, or I was coming in to work with an indoor percussion ensemble, um, I could tell you that I didn't always firmly grasp the economics of the program and what it costs. Um, sometimes it was, hey, I need uh, 15 eight-foot-high rocks to go around the back of the football field and they need to be painted this color and I need them in this dimension because I'm writing the drill around them. And then it's, you know, became a function of, all right, we got to figure out how to pay for that. And that was outside of my purview. But the point still remains that um, I'd like to sit here and tell you that I was completely knowledgeable about all that. And I'd be lying. Um, so let's step back for a moment. How, how can programs promote all of this? Um, I really think that breaking things down into its smallest form is probably the best way to illustrate to kids what this all means financially. And I'll give you an example. So let's take a 20-person winter color guard. And let's say they compete regionally and maybe they'll do like a WGI event. Uh, but it's, it's a fairly modest program. And let's say you have 20 kids in the indoor guard. One way to do this is to take the previous year's show and or maybe the running the previous three years and average it it might be a better indicator because some years are, are cost intensive some years aren't some years you're able to recycle or beg borrow and steal uh, other equipment maybe a set of flags from a from another organization that you're someone on staff teaches for whatever it may be but um, break break things down to the per member cost and just it just becomes a math problem. So you take the total cost of flags and poles and washers, bolts, weights, end caps, tape, uh, weapons, rifles, sabers, pr uh, any other equipment props that are used, costuming, um, you know, uh, floor tarp, show design, music licensing, um, any kind of rehearsal space rental transportation, accommodations overnight, things that um, aren't passed through to the organization. Maybe they are in a sense, but uh, maybe maybe your fundraising requirement or maybe your membership activity fee is just a paltry couple hundred, hundred dollars. But what you will quickly find is that in the aggregate, the real costs are far greater than that. And sometimes they're washed out where, oh, well, the district picks this up and picks that up. Well, I, I still think that there's value in showing the kids what it really costs. Now, 
let's say your per member cost ends up being $600 when it's all said and done for an all-in cost. Um, they may pay $200 to be a member of the ensemble, let's say, or they may have a mandatory fundraising requirement of $200, or however you position that is, is fine. Um, but I still think that they need to focus on $600. It costs $600 for your spot, and then multiply that over over 20, uh, 20 kids, and then be able to represent that in the aggregate. That's pretty cool, actually. So uh, figure out all of those costs, break it down to its smallest bit. It's much easier to process, much easier to understand. Now, continuing that same trend, if you think about a way that you can show your students the true cost of the resources that they play with or perform with. So um, it would shock most kids, definitely parents. Parents will not believe you. Um, but if you try to get kids to guess how much does a marching tuba cost or how much does the, the, the three sets of quads that we have on the field or the five snare drums or the six bass drums or those two marimbas up on the front sideline, what do those cost? Um, it, 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 it's amazing. If you ask for kids to just guess and write down on a slip of paper, the, the delta, the swing between the extremes would, would be amazing. And it does, um, you should try it. And you should uh, probably, you could make a game out of that. I mean, depending on how much time you wanted to spend on it. But I think spending some time on that is important because I think a lot of times these kids get issued a band uniform and they get issued a school-owned instrument and they lose complete perspective on what that thing actually costs. Um, and yeah, they may have a, an old, crusty, musty, school-owned instrument that was bought 25 years ago. Um, but what's the cost to replace it? What's the retail cost of that new tuba? Uh, and when you tell them it's in excess of $8,000, they'll look at you funny. Um, or they, they find out that that marching snare drum each uh, is probably approaching 700 bucks, uh, not not including the sticks and the drum heads, um, the expensive drum heads that are sometimes required. So uh, the the costs are extreme, and in many many cases, most of the time, students are going to have no clue. Parents definitely don't have a clue, uh, which is why when you get a uh, a well-intentioned parent that decides to go at a school-owned instrument with a pair of pliers to fix something, or they get the soldering iron out to try to fix a, a, a broken weld on an instrument uh, that, uh, you know, zany hijinks ensue after that. So it's probably worthwhile to spend a little bit of time, review that. And what you'll find over time is that you'll probably get less uh, disregard for equipment and respect for the resources that they have because then they'll understand you know how many candy bars that you have to sell to be able to replace that mellophone that almost got run over by the car um, that's a way to make a point and a way to make a memorable impact so that kids not only begin to take better care of the resources that they're allocated uh, but maybe take some some greater pride alright so hopefully this episode isn't preachy because that's certainly not the intent. Uh, I think as educators, we're in a, a pretty special position to be able to teach things that are 
outside of, of marching and playing and performing and singing and acting, uh, we use those things as, uh, I guess, a conduit to get to where we really want to go, which is just creating better, more well-rounded young people. So uh, that's all for now. If uh, you want to follow us, please be sure to hit the subscribe button, however you consume your podcast stuff. 